Well, maybe as you, you know, a few weeks ago, uh, R.C. Sproul passed away, uh, a giant of the faith. I was extremely thankful for him, and he just has made a, a, a big impact on my life through both his his books, as well as just his person. I had the privilege to meet him and speak, with, uh, speak at a conference with him and just even have some uh, fellowship time with him. And I'm grateful for his life, grateful for his, uh, well, for his humor. If you, if you knew R.C. at all, uh, he was one of the funniest uh, men that I've ever met, just a tremendous sense of humor, uh, and obviously far beyond that. He was a tremendous man of God. I remember sitting in the front row at that conference I was speaking with him at, and, and, uh, and, and just watching him preach on the doctrine of justification with no notes. And uh, I remember John MacArthur leaned over to me, and he said, no, Scott, that is a very, very smart man, you know, and, uh, but I'm just grateful for his life, but w- one of the books that he wrote was, was a book called Pleasing God, and I think it just sets the direction that I want to go with you this morning out of Romans chapter 12. You can open your Bible to Romans chapter 12. I'll pick up John's gospel next week, but I thought with it being New Year's Eve morning, if you will, that maybe just to come and be a reminder to us on some habits for you in the new year, and one of the ways to, to please God. But in Sproul's book, Pleasing God, he said of the world that it is a seducer, speaking of the world in which we live. It seeks to attract our attention and our devotion. It remains so close at hand, so visible, so enticing, it eclipses our view of heaven He said the world vies for our attention. It entices our eyes lest we look up for a better country whose builder and maker is God. It pleases us much of the time anyways and alas, we often live our lives to please it. And that is where, he said, the conflict ensues. For pleasing the world seldom overlaps with pleasing God. And he said there that the divine call is this, do not be conformed to this world, and that is right out of Romans 12, 2. Here's the question that I'm posing for you this morning on New Year's Eve. How can we be in the world, but not of it? I mean, how do we live in the midst of this? but not partake of it and become conformed to it. There was a theologian years ago by the name of Reinhold Niebuhr, and he wrote a book, and the book was called Christ and Culture. And to summarize, he basically said that the believer's response is usually one or two extremes. He said we either fight or we flee from this world in which we live. And I thought it was a wonderful argument. He said, we fight. And basically, he was saying that we boycott what we don't like. And some people fight to such an end that they bomb clinics. They take matters into their own hand. 
and they put their gloves on and they fight, they protest, they box, they become pugnacious with people. That's what he identified as we fight. Then he said, on the other hand, or we flee. And he made the argument that we move to the country or we hide in our holy huddle so as to never be stained by the world. Well, as you open your Bible to Romans chapter 12, and particularly 12.2, it's going to show us how to live successfully in a sinful world without fighting and without fleeing, okay? We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Let me read the text to you in 12, 1 and 2, and our focus this morning is verse 2. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, we're going to focus on verse 2. Let me just set the context for you briefly. He's really giving in 12, 1 and 2 the basis of a living sacrifice. He says there in verse 1, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. And all that comes from Romans 12 through 16 is the basis of that sacrifice. He has spent the opening 11 chapters describing, verse 1, the mercies of God. All those great doctrines of the faith, justification and sanctification and glorification and forgiveness of sins and the power of the gospel. And so he gets to chapter 12, as he does in all of his epistles, and lays out first the doctrine, then he gives the duty. He lays out the holiness of the doctrine, then he gives us the practice. And so as you come to chapter 12, he's appealing to us in 12.1, it says, based on those mercies of God. And so the motive of any Christian duty, if you will, comes out of those mercies. And then he dealt with, secondly there in verse 1, the character of a living sacrifice. He said that it's living. He said that it's sacrificial. He said that it's holy. He said that it's acceptable. And he said it's a form of spiritual worship. And so there is the context in which this is said. But how can you carry out being a living sacrifice In the 21st century. How can you carry out what God wants you to be in this new year? I mean, no doubt, you're probably just like me. You use the last couple of weeks to renew. You use the last couple of weeks to uh, recharge, if you will. And you're thinking, what is it that you maybe want to be different in 18 than was different in 17? And so the Lord's brought this text to my own mind, and I trust to to yours as well. Now, what Paul's going to do in Romans chapter 12, 2, is he's going to instruct us what not to do, and then he's going to tell us what to do. He gives us a negative, don't be conformed to the world, and then he gives you a positive to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Very well, he tells us what you must avoid, and then he tells you what you must 
advance. So I want to just look at those two key thoughts with you, what we must avoid, what we must advance. First, the enemy we must avoid. The enemy that we must avoid, and obviously that enemy is the world. Look again at verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world. Now, just identify this for just a moment. He uses that, that idea of being conformed to something. We'll say something about that in a moment. But he uses that term world. Just let me touch on this. I know I hit this in First John with you. But the world has three different meanings in the New Testament. It's important to identify which one. Sometimes when the Bible uses the word world here, it's talking about the created world. The created world. In fact, it says in Acts 17, 24, that God made the world. And he uses the word cosmos there. He made the world. And so sometimes in Scripture, world is the created world. In fact, in Hebrews, in 1, 2, speaking of the power and the authority and the majesty of Jesus Christ, it said that the Son made the world. And so he's talking, obviously, there about the the created world. It's a reference, if you will, to the physical earth. That's the first way that it's used. Secondly, sometimes that phrase world is used of the human race, just the human race at large. In fact, Jesus desired that the gospel, according to Mark 14, 19, or excuse me, 14, 9, that it would be the gospel proclaimed in the whole world. Now, he's not talking about the created world there. He's talking about the world of human beings. And so you're just discerning, what does he mean? Do not be conformed to this world. In fact, Paul, back earlier in this book, in Romans 8, said that their faith was being proclaimed in all of the world. He's talking about the human race. He's talking about the world as a populated group of people. But thirdly, and really for us here in our focus, the world often is seen here as a fallen group of humanity. When the Bible talks about the world, when it talks about not being conformed to the world, it's talking about a fallen group of people. He's talking about man's refusal to bow his knee to God. And the world here speaks of a secularization of the age. In fact, the world as we know it, in this sense, is characterized by a number of things. But I'd say this, by self-righteousness, by self-centeredness, by self-promotion. And it does that in a myriad of ways. So when Paul opens up this enemy that we must avoid, he says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to its lust. Don't be conformed to its desires. Don't be conformed to its objection, you know, its, ob- its objects that it wants us to pursue. In fact, do you remember that Jesus even said this in 1836? He said, my kingdom is not of this, what, world. In other words, when he ministered, his kingdom was an age to come. Maybe that's a, a way to define the world. That world is defined as a present age. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, he said, my servants would have been fighting. And so, beloved, we are not to be of the world, but we do know that we live 
in the world. Jesus even prayed that in his high priestly prayer in John 17, 15. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Now, just as we talk about this enemy to avoid, let me just make a few observations from the text. I think it will help you. Number one, obviously, it is a negative command. Look at it again in verse 2. He says, do not be, and so he's giving a, a negative command there, and I think it's realistic. You say, well, realistic in what sense? Well, it takes into account the presence of evil. It takes into the account the presence of sin. It's a reminder to us that eight out of the ten commandments are negative in nature, if you will. And so I think what he's saying here in the flow of the text is that to be a living sacrifice and to present your body as a living sacrifice, then there are some things that you must avoid, and you must avoid here the world. And so I would say it's a negative command. Secondly, I want you to note from the text, look at verse 2. It is a specific command. Look at verse 2. He says, do not be conformed, the key word, to this world. What we say, what does that mean? It's a specific command. He doesn't want you to be conformed. In other words, the word indicates adoption, if you will. He doesn't want you to be adopted into this world, if you will. He does, the, the ideal of the word conformed, it's an interesting word. It speaks of an imitation, is what it is. It's often used, even in biblical literature, of someone who's posing, a poser, if you will. So he's saying, listen, do not adopt, do not imitate, do not pose this world. In fact, the word was used to even speak of a mold, where sometimes they would place things in a mold. And so here Paul is saying, you need to, I need to, avoid being molded after the fashion of this world. And so Paul is saying, if you want to be, verse 1, a living sacrifice, then stop imitating the world, Grace Church of the Valley. Stop masquerading, if you will, in the things of this age. In fact, turn in your Bible just for a moment to Peter. Go to 1 Peter. Let me show you this. And I, I want to show you where this word conformed was used there. And it's helpful. I think it will help identify what is this enemy we're avoiding. But, it, but he talks there in 1 Peter chapter 1 in verse 14. And he's talking to us as believers. And he says there, as obedient children, here it is. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, don't be molded in what you were saved out of. You are now different. You are now a new creation. You are here identified as obedient children. And as God's beloved children, you're not to be conformed. And then he says it this way, to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also need to be holy in all your conduct. So he says, don't pose and fashion and desire what the world wants and what the world lives for. Look over in 1 Peter chapter 4 in verse 2. He talks again about us as believers, as stewards of that grace. And he says in 1 Peter 4 too, so as to live for the rest of the time 
uh, in the flesh no longer, he says, for human passions, but for the will of God. In other words, as a believer, as you think of 2018, you're to no longer live for those human passions. You are to live for the will of God. You say, well, what are those human passions? Look at verse 3 of chapter 4 right there. Next verse. For the time is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Well, what do they do? They live in sensuality, in passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. In other words, he tells us, listen, if you're going to present your body a living sacrifice, you're going to have to avoid the world. In fact, the Phillips translation said this as you look back now to Romans chapter 12. He said, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. In other words, don't let the world press you into its mold. When I was a young boy growing up in Los Angeles, I remember my parents once in a while would take me to the zoo. And amongst the many fascinating things at the zoo, there was one machine that just intrigued me. Do you remember that? It was a glass case, and you put some quarters in it. And if you put a quarter in it, you punched a certain button, out would come the mold of an animal. Do you remember those? And so I just remember putting the coins in. I was mesmerized by it because the, the mold, it would fill in with wax. And then the wax would come into that mold and it would heat that mold. And then within a couple minutes, it would shoot out that particular animal. And there you had it from the L.A. Zoo, the animal of your desire. But as I've often thought about that, here's what we need to avoid. We've got to be of, avoid squeezing into the mold of the world, squeezing into the shape of what they want you to love and what they want you to buy and what they want you to esteem. Here, it's negative. We're not to be molded after the world. And so it's a negative command, I said. It's a specific command. Thirdly, it's a directed command. A directed command. Look at it in 12.2 again. He says, do not be conformed. And then he uses that word that we've touched on, world. And what's interesting is he doesn't use the word cosmos there. He uses another Greek term. He uses the term aeon or ion is what it means, the idea. And the idea of do not be conformed to this world literally could be do not be conformed to this present age. In other words, this age in which you live, you're in it, but you're not of it, but you live in this present age. Don't be put in the mold of this present age. And whenever you see that phrase, I own, it's obviously in opposition to the coming kingdom of God. We are positively, on the other hand, Romans 8.28, are to be conformed to the image of what? Of Jesus Christ, his son, were not to be conformed to this world. This world is the present sinful age in which we live. You know, according to 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that Satan is called the God of this, what? World. He's called the God of this age, okay? And so Galatians says, speaking of our salvation, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. He's delivering us. We're not to be conformed to it. He redeemed us to be holy, to live different. Do you remember when Paul said in Ephesians 2, 1, 
that you are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked after the course of this age. In other words, before you were a believer, when you lived like a Gentile, when you were a Gentile, and you lived in your sinful lust, that's how you lived. You lived and walked following the Bible says the course of this world, but the, the word there is age. You say, what does that include? Obviously, it includes the world's sensuality, entertainment, fashions, vocabulary, music. In fact, it's sometimes I'll be watching an NBA highlight. And I'm watching an NBA highlight, but then filthy rap music comes behind it that I just have to turn off. Because every other word seems like it's about violence or it's some kind of cuss word. But all of that is involved. And I'm not trying to be so particular here. But sensuality, entertainment, fashion, vocabulary, music, selfishness, greed, immorality, slander, anger, hatred, bitterness, deceitfulness, pride. All of that is marked by this age. Ultimately, beloved, worldliness or when he says don't be conformed to the world, is a love for sin. It's a love for self in a fallen world. The goal of worldly people, as Joel Beakey observed, I think this is well said. He said it's to move forward rather than upward. It's to live in the world horizontally rather than vertically. To seek after outward prosperity rather than holiness. He says, they of the world burst with selfish desires rather than heartfelt supplications, end of quotes. Certainly, beloved, you remember when we taught out of 1 John, when the Apostle John that we've been looking at in the Gospel of John said, do not love the, what? The world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father, what? Is not in him. You could reach a point where you love the world so much that even though you profess to know Christ, you may not know Christ. Because once God gets a hold of you, he's going to change you and you're going to desire to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, I should ask you a question. What do you think, Grace Church of the Valley? Can a believer love the world? How would you answer that? How would you say? And my answer would be, of course, a believer can love the world. Of course, a church can love the world. In fact, honestly to you, Scripture's packed full of characters who compromised their faith. Just let me give you a quick grocery list. Adam compromised God's clear command, followed his wife's sin, and brought sin into the world. Sarah compromised God's word, sent Abraham to a woman by the name of Hagar who bore a man by the name of Ishmael who destroyed peace in the Middle East and that's why there's so much friction today. Say, why? Because of that. And there's friction and there's sin. Moses compromised God's command. You remember, he struck the rock and he failed to enter into the promised land, Numbers 20. Samson, the man of God, compromised, was impure with women, lost his strength, lost his eyesight, and ultimately lost his life, Judges 16. Saul compromised by, you remember that, by sparing the animals of his enemy and lost his kingdom. 
David compromised that man of God by committing adultery with Bathsheba. He murdered Uriah, and then he lost his infant son, and he saw the sword never depart from his family. Of course, we, like them, can make sinful choices. In fact, I feel like some of you are on the edge as I speak. That's not in my notes. I'm just saying that. Because I know that when you open God's Word, there's always people that are sitting on the fence Or maybe you're already into the world. So this is an important message. I think of Solomon who compromised his purity, married foreign wives and lost his kingdom, 1 Kings 11. Then you come to the New Testament, I'll just give you one. Ananias and Sapphira compromised their word, lied to the Holy Spirit, and both dropped dead in a church service, Acts chapter 5. I mean, the the, the way that the world, as Sproul said, seduces us is incredible. I think maybe one of the saddest statements in all of the scripture is 2 Timothy 4.10 when it talked about a man by the name of Demas and it says, Demas, here's how it reads, in love with this present world has deserted me. There it is. He loved it too much and he left Paul. The sad part about the world as we know it, is that the world in 1 John 2.17 is passing away. It's temporary. It's earthly at best. And then that scripture in the book of James where he says, and I'm not trying to say this is us, but if the shoe fits, wear it. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, that's enough said there, right? Because you might be saying, well, Scott, listen, that's the enemy we must avoid. And you might say, how do we avoid the enemy of conformity to the world? And here's, it's there in Romans 12 too. In other words, he says, instead of masquerading, instead of imitating the world, look at the text. Here's the positive injunction. He says, but be, and I always want to give it to King James, be ye transformed by the renewing, or here, by the renewal of your mind. So there's the enemy we must avoid, but secondly, the positive, the encouragement to be advanced. And this is really what I want to tell you this morning. He says there to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, now, Grace Church, just for a moment, I want you to connect the dots here, okay? At least in this text before us. Paul is moving from a presentation of the body to a separation from the world, now to this, to a transformation of the mind. That is the text. Now, look at the text again in 12.2. He tells us there to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. That word transformed there, uh, you would understand the Greek word because you'd probably get our English word. The Greek word for transformed is metamorpho. Metamorpho. Obviously, we get our English word metamorphosis from it. And so what he says is, I don't want you to be squeezed into the pattern of this age. I want you to be transformed into another form. In fact, the word means, literally, you write this one down, to be changed into another form is what the word transformed means. 
fact, we use that, do we not, in English when a tadpole becomes a what? A frog. It's transformed from a tadpole into a frog. Or when a caterpillar becomes a what? Butterfly. It's transformed. Probably I had wrong things in my mind when I saw this word. I thought of that, that show that was on when I was an early boy called The Hulk. Do you remember that? The Hulk. Remember mild-mannered David Banner would somehow get angry at something and his eyes went, Arr! and then all of a sudden his shirt, you, you know the image. I mean, he was transformed into another form, into another figure. But this is a serious word here. He says, I don't want you to be conformed on the outside. He says, I want you to be transformed. And that word transform was used of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was used of him in Matthew 17 too, when he was, it says, do you remember there? Transfigured before them. And it says in Matthew 17 too, that his face shone like the sun and his garments became white as light. It was just brilliant. Because he was transfigured before them. And the disciples went face down really quick. So what did, what did the disciples see? What was that transfiguration? They saw, if you will, the glory of God that was in him. He was re showing them, displaying for them, radiating, if you will, in splendor. No longer veiled in his humanity. And he peeled back his humanity and he revealed the glory that was his from all creation. He was transfigured. He showed them who he really was. And that glory came from within. He was transformed, if you will, on the outside by revealing the glory on the inside is what that text is saying. Now, I've got a couple questions for you, okay, in the new year. How is one transformed? I mean, that's, I want you to be transformed. That's the title of the message. I want to be transformed. How is one transformed? Look at the text. It's right there. Everything's in the text, right? He says, but be transformed, underline this, major statement, by the renewal of your, what? Mind. The thought is, beloved, take your body, connect the dots, make it a living sacrifice, take your mind and be renewed so as to be transformed from the inside out. And so here's what Paul is stating here. There is, if you will, a rejection of the world and then a renewal all taking place at the same time. But it begs another question. How is the mind renewed? How is the mind renewed? Word's going to tell you, and I'll tell you, this will be the most important thing you do in the next three years. That, that question, how is the mind renewed, is, I don't care about your business. I don't care if you have two more babies, three more grandchildren, okay? Those are great things, aren't they? How is the mind renewed? And the answer is, is it's renewed by what? The Word of God. Your mind needs to be renewed. We're studying the Scripture. Scripture itself involves the mind because we're teaching about the person of Christ but the mind is renewed, beloved, by the word of God. 
And so, listen carefully, the outward transformation of your life, my life, is affected by the inner renewal of the mind by the Word of God through the agency of the Holy Spirit. God's Word is the instrument that the Spirit of God uses to renew your minds. I could put it this way. To be a living sacrifice, you've got to be renewed by the Word of God. To be a living sacrifice, you've got to be renewed in your mind by the Word of God. You must be renewed by the Word of God. It is very important. And let me say something super clearly to you, young people. Your mind controls your body. That's why this is packed together. You control your thought life, according to the Scripture. You'll control your body. On the other hand, if you are conformed to the world, then you're not letting the mind renew you. And you'll be a poser. You'll be an imitator of the things of the world. Listen, when you were born again, when I was born again, you became a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we know that. You were radically changed at your salvation. But, but, we are also ever being renewed in our mind into the likeness of Jesus Christ through the Word of God by the Spirit of God. In fact, the Bible's clear. I won't go into a whole defense of harmardiology, which is the doctrine of sin. But before Christ... In Romans 1.28, you had, I had a depraved mind. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 4.18 of the Gentiles, they were darkened in their understanding. That is why someone has to be born again, because without being born again, you're darkened, you're depraved. But in Christ, as a new creation, you've been freed from sin, now is to be transformed, if you will, by the Word of God. You say, well, how does it work? Let me show you. Look over in the book of Ephesians. Let me show you this. This is a classic text, an important text in Ephesians chapter 4. I think you can see that I'm arguing for that you can come to Christ, you can be a new creation, but I'm arguing beyond that. You've got to come to Christ and then high school student, you've got to put yourself in the Word. Junior high student, elementary student, you've got to put yourself in the Word. And here's what he tells us in 4.22 of Ephesians. He says for you and I to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And then he says, here it is, do you see that? Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is so important. You're to put off, you're to put on, and sandwiched in between 22 and 24 is verse 23. You do that by being renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is so important. Look over to the next book, or a couple books over in the book of Colossians. Would you look there? This is the secret for you. 
secret for me. I didn't call it a secret. Just this is how you change. If you've been here and you've been here a long time or you've been in Christ and you're visiting and you're thinking I'm kind of the same man or the same woman I've been for a long time, that shouldn't be. You need to stop posing and masquerading after the fashion of the world. That's the enemy to avoid. The encouragement to be advanced is to renew your mind. Listen, if you're the same person and you never open this book, you'll never change. But the thought of the Christian life is we're ever increasing into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Look at Colossians chapter 3.8. You can see this ideal of put off, put on. He said, he said in 3.8, now you must put them all away. And I'm not just going to skip this. Anger. You got to take it off. You got to open your hand. You stop, got to stop controlling people. If you don't take that off, anger, wrath, look at the list, malice, you want ill to happen to people, you slander people, and you have obscene talk from your mouth. He says, look back in verse 7, and these once you walked when you were living in them. He goes, but now you still got to put them all away. Verse 9, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have Put off the old self with all of its practices. Here it is. And put on the new self. Here's a similar word. Which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. You're to be renewed in your mind. You're to take off those things like an old grumpy coat, if you will. And you're to put on the right things. You say, what am I to put on? Well, look, it's there in 312. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You say, well, Scott, how do I do all those things? Well, glance down in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell, what? Within you. You let the word, the, the mind needs to be renewed. The mind is renewed by the power of the word of God. You know this scripture. Maybe I'll use it this Saturday at Carol's memorial service. Though our outer self is wasting away, Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.16, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Listen, you got to be renewed and you need to be renewed day by day. So what renews us? Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul, it says, and spirit, and says of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the hearts. Can I make three observations here for you on this transformation? Okay, here's what you need to advance, okay? Number one, the command is in the present tense. It's a, you say, well, Scott, well, why, did, why, why does that matter? You're to continually be transformed. So what's the opposite of that? Well, thinking that you can get to a holy hop or a holy zap or come to a place where you no longer sin, like the guy that Dan Jackson met at his shed many years ago. He had reached a place of perfection, he told Dan. That doesn't happen. That's not biblical. That's heresy. You are to be renewed, present tense, continually. You say, well, Scott, I haven't really changed over the last year. 
Some of you might say I've not changed over 20 years. Well, here's the key. You got to be transformed by the renewing. This is not an off again, off on again situation. This is to be our continual practice. You are never transformed once and for all. You either let the world deal with you or you put scripture into your mind and what you do with the book will be the most telling thing about us. Secondly, okay, it's in the present tense. Secondly, it's a command that is to be obeyed. It is a command, secondly, to be obeyed, or it's an imperative to be. In other words, the Scripture's not really giving you an option. I, I don't know another way to say that, other than to say that if I wasn't in the Word and you're not in the Word, you're going to be disobedient. If you sit and watch Netflix and binge on them or Hallmark movies. How many of you? No, don't raise your hand. Um, um, listen, it, it, it's a command to be obeyed. You need to be transformed. You need to have your mind renewed. You need that continually. I think the point is you need to obey this command. I'm not just giving you a, a statement here for the new year. For your family, for your children, for your grandchildren, okay? And then thirdly, this is a little bit bizarre. I don't know if it's bizarre. Maybe I should just say it's intriguing to me. I don't know if it, show the next one on C on the slide. The command is in, you see that? The passive voice. So what does that mean, Scott? Well, it just means this. You don't transform yourself. The Bible is not giving you a command that's active. You say, well, what do you mean by that? In other words, the transformation happens to you. You're passive in this. And sorry for the the illustration, but he, he doesn't say transform yourself. But he actually says let yourself be transformed. The only illustration I can think of, excuse me, was growing up as a little kid. There was a show that came up on Saturday. And, um, you know, in those days, you hardly watched any TV, but I sometimes would watch this show and Wide World of Sports that came on at 5 o'clock. And, uh, but this morning cartoon came up. It, the name of it was called Shazam. Have you ever seen that? I mean, I just thought as a little boy, I thought, wow, how does he do that? It was like he was Superman. And he'd go into this booth, and then he would just say this word, Shazam, and then the booth would just, I could still see it, would start to spin in color and in choreography, and then boom, the the colors and the, the smoke, if you will, went away, and he was standing there as a new man. And I just thought, man, that guy's cool. Well, I just want you to know that's not what he's talking about here. Okay, because I just think when you think, hey, transform yourself, you're thinking, Shazam! And you want something, I want something. You want a silver bullet. You want to be just changed in one thought. Doesn't happen that way. And it's not you doing it, is my point. It's God bringing about the transformation. You're passive in this. You say, well, then connect the dots, Scott, this. You are transformed by what? The Word of God. 
It's God's word renewing your mind that changes you from the inside out. Moms, if you want to change, that's where it's going to come about. It's going to come about his scripture transforming you. Let me link it not to a stupid cartoon. Psalm 119.9. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it or by keeping it according to your what? Word. I, the psalmist said, have stored up your word in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against thee. I suppose I could give a word about pornography there. You cannot, men, dabble in pornography, excuse the abruptness of that, and put the scriptures in your mind at the same time. You either hide that word in your heart that you don't sin, or you dabble in this, and I shouldn't use the word dabble in it. Some people look at it consistently, and I have nobody in my mind here. But if that's you, then listen, you're not going to change if you're watching that stuff. You're conforming and posing and imitating and adopting and looking after the fashion of the world when the command to advance is you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Only with a renewed mind can one persistently resist being conformed to the world and be a living sacrifice. The avenue, I can't say this strong enough, to a changed heart is a changed mind. The avenue to change your heart about something you think is a changed mind. And I think I'm attacking the heart because your feelings are fickle. And they're going to mislead you, but the word will never mislead you. Because if you're transformed, I'll tell you what will happen. Go back to Romans. Look at it. It's amazing. It's amazing. It might be worth it this morning just that you came to hear the word, to hear this statement out of the word by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, 12.2, you may discern what is the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. People always say, Scott, what's the will of God? Right here, renew your mind. You renew your mind, and you'll know the will of God. You renew your mind, God will give you freedom, he will give you insight. I don't mean to mean it like hocus pocus, but as your mind is renewed, you're going to be able to prove, you're going to be able to test, you're going to be able to affirm what the will of God is in your life, and that will is good, acceptable, and perfect. It's without mistakes, it's without flaws, it's lacking in nothing. Everybody asks, what is the will of God for me? What is the will of God for me in 2018? Listen, here it is. Make a presentation of your body. Make a separation from the world and make a transformation of your mind and you will be glorious transformed. Now, there's the two points. But I'm not done, okay? So don't put your pens down, okay? Or your fingers, whatever this. I want to give you six practical steps, okay? Listen, you didn't think we'd just come and this is a holiday, right? I got some homework for you, okay? Six practical, no, seven, I'm sorry, I added one. This is the number of the Lord. Seven practical steps to renew your mind and be transformed, and these will be fast. Number one, you want to live transformed. Number one, remember his mercies. Remember his mercies. Listen, I can't say enough, and I didn't have time today, but the motive 
for a living sacrifice. The motive of why we do everything in the Christian life is the mercies of God. He saved you. He redeemed you. He called you out of the world. He forgave you. He's sanctifying you. He justified you. He gives you heaven. He gives you glory. He's going to transform your body. Those are all the mercies of God. And if you're going to be changed, then I'm going back to Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. He always lays down doctrine. Then he gives you duty. He lays down your position, then he gives you your practice. So listen, number one, I want you to remind you of your mercies. You're forgiven. He he already changed you. He already pulled you out of the kingdom of darkness and put you into the kingdom of a son. It ought to be his mercies that drive you to obedience. Calvin put it this way, and I think appropriately. He said, men will never worship God with a sincere heart or be roused to obey him and fear him with sufficient zeal until they understand how much they are indebted to his mercies. Listen, if you want to change, sometimes you need to go back and remember his mercies. It's the motive. Secondly, number one, remember his mercies. Two, release your whole self to the Lord. Release your whole self to the Lord. I think I was going to say release your body to the Lord, but I think when he says in 12.1 that you're to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, certainly I think that includes this carcass of flesh that we're in, but I think it means more than that. I think he's saying present your whole life to God, but very well present your body. Have you given him your body? Have you given him all of yourself? Some people have a foot in and a foot out. Many people who have listened to me over the years, some were in and now they're definitely out. Because you can't stand neutral. You're either conformed by the outside or you're transformed on the inside. But here, release your body to the Lord. In fact, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, 4, that each of you know how to possess his own body. He said that you know how to possess it in sanctification, which means in holiness and in honor. He said not in a lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. So God desires, beloved, our body to be a perpetual offering, not a one-time offering. It is always offered. We are called a living, what? Sacrifice. Somebody said, and you've probably heard that before, that the problem with a living sacrifice is the sacrifice just keeps trying to crawl off the altar. Just give yourself anew this day to the Lord. you got to be careful because our bodies can contaminate our souls. You can quench the Lord. You can reject the Holy Spirit. And you must take your body and put it in subjection and continually offer yourselves to God as a living sacrifice. Thirdly, can I say this gently to you? Listen, I have no idea where you are this morning. You know, I don't, I don't have insight into it. But I just say thirdly, you got to repent of your known sin. I'm just trying to be gracious there to my own heart, to you. Don't be conformed to the world. Is there something, is there somebody that you need to part with? And, and if that's the case, then, and you want to be not conformed but transformed, then repent of your sin. 
Part with something today. Cleanse your conscience. David, after he sinned greatly, said in Psalm 51.10, create in me a clean, what? Heart. If you need to do that, do that. The Lord will be so gracious with you. You may need to forgive someone. You may need to stop going to a certain place. Whatever it is. Listen, you got to repent of sin. And number four, okay, just quickly on these. I just want to be... Practical, remember his mercies, release your whole self to the Lord, repent of known sin, and fourth, obviously, renew your mind. Let, let me just ask you, I, I'm not trying to induce guilt. What's your game plan for the scriptures this year? Renew your mind. You've got to renew it. You've got to find a way to renew it. You've got to listen to it. You've got to read it. You need to be at the services. I filled out something for our staff insurance this week. And I was interested by, by one of the questions on the insurance. I, I, this is not my note, so I have to be careful when I go off. Um, it said, I regularly attend a local church three out of four weeks. Interesting. In other words, we'll take you, but you're in regular attendance. And, and you say, well, why'd you bring up church? Because you're here today, thank the Lord, right? You're here today hearing this. What's your objectives? I mean, at some point, you need to personally be committed to renewing your mind. And then corporately, you need to be committed to renewing your mind. Philippians 4.8, whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, let your what? Mind dwell on these things. Set your mind does it say that in Colossians 3, 2, on the things, what, above? Listen, you may be a student, and you need a makeover. You need to renew yourself in the Scripture. You may be a mother, and you may be saying, Scott, listen, I want to change. How do I change? Renew yourself in the Scripture. You may be a new believer, and you may just say, man, I just need encouragement. In fact, I had a guy write me last week, and he said, dear pastor, he said, I am so sorry. Will you please forgive me? And he went on to give me this email apologizing because he's not been here. And I just said to him, and listen, he's got a unique situation. He was working on a lot of Lord's days, and they don't live right here close. And he gets disconnected. Then he had a baby. Then he had another baby. And then I just hadn't seen him in months. And I said, hey, no no forgiveness is needed. I said, I just want what's healthy for your family. Because the Lord uses the Lord's day, doesn't he, to renew us. But listen, you don't just need that corporately. We need that individually. If you're an established believer and you need to kickstart again, then renew your, your mind in the scriptures. John Blanchard, in his book, How to Enjoy the Bible, oh, he just said, we, I'll just, we're running out of time, right? He just said, you got to read it every day. Can I just, I'll just finish the list because you perfectionists will want that list. Number, uh, and then we'll be done. Number five, how about this? Recharge your spiritual gift. So Scott, where'd you get that? It's what follows next in three through eight. Some of you might be so consumed with yourself and your problems and your difficulties that you've just, you might not even know what your spiritual gift is. Listen, if you're a new family and you're checking us out today, listen, I'm really glad you came. You can check us out for a little bit, but you need to dive in somewhere at some place, whether that be here 
or another local church. But you have spiritual gifts that flow out of this text in 3 through 8. Number 6, you need to revive your prayer life. Revive your prayer life. It's right there in verse 12 in the context. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. One of the ways to not be conformed but to be renewed is to allow our prayer life, 12-12 of Romans, to be constant in prayer. Number Was that number 6? I forget. Yeah, that was number six. Revive your prayer life's last one. Reject what is unholy. Reject what is unholy. It says in verse 17 of 12, repay no one evil for evil. In other words, just reject it. Look over at 1221. Do not be overcome by evil. In other words, don't let evil overcome you. You need to reject what is holy. Listen, there's seven things to help you in the new year to be transformed. I wish I could give you some... Silver bullet. <laughs> if there was one, there's not one. I just know that the Word of God changes us. In fact, I, I, I saw someone said on social media, it was actually a woman, and she had a little checklist, and she wasn't boasting, it wasn't anything like that. She had about 10 years listed where she checked off the reading of the Word of God through the Bible in one year, and then the caption was, it's changing me. And I, it has to. As you put yourself in the Word of God, it will transform you. 